Welcome to the Job Shop Show, where we talk with the owners, suppliers, partners, and customers of custom manufacturers. Listen and learn the secrets of top-performing job shops, the tools, techniques, and backgrounds that made them successful, all in the quest of raising the bar for custom manufacturing. I am your host, Jay Jacobs. This episode is sponsored by Paperless Parts. Paperless Parts is the secure estimating and quoting software built by manufacturers for manufacturers. Communicate better, quote faster, win new customers, and keep your shop secure with their cloud-based, ITAR-registered, and CMMC-compliant platform. See for yourself why hundreds of job shops and contract manufacturers choose Paperless Parts by visiting paperlessparts.com. Shazam! This is Jay Jacobs. Welcome to the Job Shop Show. Are you a shop owner or even a small business person who started from zero or essentially zero? Created a company through grit, sweat, and yeah, maybe even some blood that is thriving today. Company where you figured it out on the fly, blissfully unaware of what you were trying to do. Because if you knew, you may not have had the courage to try. Rafal Gleviak of Profabricating makes it real for us, reliving the early days when there was no support structure, when banks didn't want to know his name, when the only schooling was one of hard knocks. After speaking with Rafal, I sat for a few moments, reflecting on his story, one that embodies the entrepreneurial spirit in America and how proud I am of him. Perhaps you have a similar story and it will remind you of the early days. Or Perhaps you're not as far along as Rafal, and it will give you inspiration to continue against the odds. I was privileged to have this conversation with Rafal, and I hope it is as powerful for you as it was for me. Welcome to the Job Shop Show, Rafal. Thank you for having me, Jay. I'm glad I could be on the show. Yeah, I am so excited because your wife had reached out She's a listener of the show, and she thought that your story would be of interest to the show. And I, and I agree. I think that you have a, a great journey to share from not owning a shop to being the owner of a successful small shop today. We're going to get into all sorts of aspects of that. My first question, though, is when is the last time you took a vacation? Well, the last time I took a vacation was first week of October, and that was just because my wife and I got married October 1st, and it was destination wedding. It was in the Florida Keys, so that was not only our wedding, but it kind of was a little bit of a vacation for us as well. Congratulations. That's Thank awesome. You. Thank you. And your wife works with you alongside you in the business? It was October of 21 that she came on to join the pro-fabricating team over here. What was she doing before that? She was working in the medical field. Totally unrelated then. Yes, uh, two different two different industries for sure. What was the catalyst for her? You saying, okay, I think it's time, I need the help, or, or you grew yeah. enough that that you had to bring somebody, whether it was hers or someone else? That's exactly what happened. I just became so overwhelmed with the amount of work that was coming in, the amount of quotes, and I just couldn't do it all. So who better to have as an account manager, HR department, and to look at the books rather than, you know, 
someone you can really tr trust and which is right. which would be my wife you know with those kind of aspects those kind of things that run the business you know so, yeah. so she, she she's my account manager now and she deals with the a lot of the paperwork when it comes to new customers, old customers, getting paid on time, accounts payables, receivables, payroll, getting all the paperwork ready for the employees, new employees, old employees. So she's yeah. she does all that for me. That's awesome. It's must be feel really good to have somebody you can trust and know that it's going to get done right. Exactly. And we could always bounce off of each other's ideas. She's She put a lot of time and effort into some of the quoting stuff like spreadsheets and some of the ways we put purchase orders through our system and our quotes through our system. And um, mm -hmm. she put a lot of that together for me just so it's got a little more structure than just writing stuff on a piece of paper or getting emails and stuff <laughs> like that. I remember... I'll if you don't mind, I'm going to share some funny stories. Well, I guess it's up to the listener to decide whether they're funny or not. When I purchased the small machine shop that became Rapid Machining way back, and this was in 2009, the owner was, he's a great guy, but really old school. And he actually did his pricing pencil and paper. And when somebody would come back and ask him for a different quantity, throw up his hands and be like, oh my God, this is so, uh. and so I created a simple spreadsheet for him where he could magically plug in different quantities and get a price. And he was so happy, so amazed. And it's, as, you, as you're talking about, and by the way, I think your wife's name is Rachel. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Having the, someone to take the time, because it takes a little time to learn tools and to Put things in place the savings and the ease become so evident when you are able to do that and i'm sure she's been a huge addition for, for you in the shop yeah if you don't mind me just kind of coming going back on the pencil and paper i mean before she was here helping me out with everything that's kind of the way i did things over here you know did you? yeah you know kind of on the go you know, getting the weight per materials, writing it down on a piece of paper, you know, putting the labor costs on a piece of paper. And then there was many, many times where my customer asked me for all different quantity breaks or something or a different gauge of material or something. And I had to go back to it and redo everything or or at least, you know, try to try to get him a price as soon as possible with a different quantity or a different kind of material or whatnot, whether it was stainless or, or hot roll mm. or whatever, you know? So I've, I was a victim of that, that pencil and paper. So nowadays, Rachel, she's definitely put in a great system over here that everything kind of flows a little bit better. And not mm -hmm. only does it flow, but, you know, prices with certain quantities or whatever are saved in a system where we could always relate to it, you know, whether it's a month ago, a week ago. And if the quantities change, we could easily make, you know, easy changes. To well, let's let's specifically I've, I've got so many things I want to ask you. We'll, we'll go down this little rabbit hole and then we're going to zoom back out. What how do you do it? Are you using Microsoft Excel or do you use a different program? That, Microsoft Excel. So when you get an RFQ in, do you save a new spreadsheet for that RFQ 
or in using a template or do you rewrite over stuff? How do you, how we do you have, have documentation that you so know that that's what you quoted? The way it flows, you know, coming through one of our emails and then it'll go directly to Rachel. Mm -hmm. Rachel will plug it into a template she has already made. And then she'll kind of just plug in all these information into that template and mm -hmm. save it into the cloud, the Microsoft cloud, where all of us could see, see it regardless on wherever computer we're at, whether we're at mm -hmm. home or on our phone or whatever. Um, we could always relate to, to, to the information just through that cloud. So, so she definitely, she uses a template and then she just pretty much updates the information for each quote or each customer on a new RFQ. Gotcha. And it's, it's a really nice because like I said, I'm very rarely in front of my computer. So I could always pull out my phone and always look at that cloud and, and plug into mm -hmm. it and then kind of see what, if someone calls me or if someone has a question, I could kind of see it really, really quickly. And I could relate to it pretty fast, no matter where I'm at. I want to get back to a lot of this detail because I think someone who might be starting a shop or a small owner who's not using the Microsoft tools or other technology, we, we can give them some great suggestions on different ways of going about it, maybe differently than what they're doing now. Let's uh, let's go back to though before you even owned a shop. How did you get involved in the metals industry? So I was a teenager going to high school, looking for some money just so I could buy myself some nice things. <laughs> and my uncle and this his co-partner, he was co-owners with someone that owned this shop before I was the owner. And mm -hmm. he needed just a sh sh some shop help, punching some holes. I actually remember this like yesterday after high school, after school, come out and buy. We have thousands and thousands of rectangles to just punch one hole in. And he had so much. <laughs> and, he's, and it was like a little like petty job. He didn't have a lot of money in it. So he didn't want to put too much labor in it. So he hired, you know, he asked me if I want to do that for a couple hours out of the day during the week. And I, I said, yeah, because I wanted to save up for a car. You know, I wanted, mm -hmm. I wanted to buy, you know, a typical teenager in high school, you want some things, you know, either what you want a phone, you know, yep. you want a car, you want certain things. And my mom at, you know, my mom came from a poor family. She worked two jobs and she pushed us through private school. So she didn't have money for us to you know, buy shoes, clothes, new clothes, cars, and stuff like that. So we didn't have that luxury. Me and my brother, a child, there was only two of us. So, so we kind of had to figure it out ourselves. You know what I mean? And so I worked for my uncle at the age of 15, 16, just punching holes, sweeping and stuff like that. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I hated it because my uncle was, uh, he wasn't the nicest guy in the world. You know what I mean? So I hated coming here, but I felt like that was the only option I had to make a little bit of money. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, as I got older, you know, before, I, before we move on, sure. tell me, so he had a metal fabricating shop. What type of equipment? Give me a sense of, of what his shop was like. And and I think you are 35 now, so this is roughly a little less than 20 years ago. Little less than, yep, little less than 20 years ago. Yep. Like yeah. 05, 2000, well, 2004, 2005 was kind of where I started. So, yeah, 
Yeah, a little, a little under twenty years ago. What so, was his shop like? What type of equipment and what types of parts did he make? So, so you, you had your typical old iron worker, you know, with the uh, just punching holes, and then he had a old Amada share. I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking about nineteen eighties Amada share. And then a Cincinnati press brake, mechanical press brake with an air clutch, and mm. then a couple welders. And I mean, and 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 that's about it. And then every corner had a pile of junk because he was one of those guys where he just saved either drops or you know yeah. all types of garbage, you know. So just 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 old stuff, you know. I mean, it was it was no no automated equipment. Everything was majority mechanical, mechanical, no hydraulic stuff. You know, you know how the old, old machines there, they were made to, to, you know, produce fast and they weren't really safe. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the kind of equipment he had. And some of the welders were kind of old and ancient too, you know. Mm. After high school, what happened? So I went full-time because I didn't get accepted to the college by my house. So I was like, okay, I'm going to just go full-time at my uncle's shop. And I was 18 years old. And there was, he only had like two workers, one guy on the share, one guy welding. And mm-hmm. uh, he was really hard on me, you know, he, since, because I wasn't really a fabricator, you know, I really wasn't doing much, you know, I was just kind of doing stuff that he showed me and that's it, you know? So when I went full time, you know, he was so, so hard on me. Like I just didn't, I just didn't like it. I just, I couldn't take it no more. So I, he was, he was ready to retire. I couldn't, I was so happy that he's retiring. So then I could go back to school or whatnot. And he was just so tough on me that I had enough of him. So when I came to work one day and and I remember this like yesterday, you know, he threw a blueprint on my, in front of my face and he said, you know, try this. I'll give you an hour to try this. Try try tacking with this or welding this and and we'll see. We'll take it from there, you know. So I I took that blueprint and I kind of taught myself how to measure some things, you know, how to tack them to the to the to the piece mm-hmm. to, to the dimensions that were required. And I I ran a couple you know, beads on a, on scrap. And then I seen that the welds were getting better, better, better as, you know, as I practiced more. And then, so he gave me an opportunity to weld some things. And then, and then kind of from there, you know, I started putting things together for him, you know, as, as a welder fabric slash fabricator. And I got really good at it. And not only did I get good at it, but I started to like, like doing that stuff, you know, you know, the product, the stuff that I started making, you know, it looked really nice and, and, and I was getting, just getting a kick out of it. So he was so happy that I learned how to weld and put things together. He actually gave me a little raise. How much were you making? I was making $12 an hour as a welder. But before that I was making about eight fifty an hour. He gave me eight fifty an hour. And then when, you know, I started putting things together and welding stuff, I was making about $12 an hour, which I thought was a lot at that time. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was like $350 a week on like four yeah. 40 hours or, or something like that. So I thought that was a lot. I was like, Oh my God, I'm, you know, just I sure. the car and, you know, so I was kind of happy. And then, and then I just started kind of progressing. I started progressing in the whole welding 
you know, I, I, I became a good, a really good TIG welder. And then I started welding stick, you know, so I had pretty much the MIG, the, the stick and the TIG down in path. And I, I, I basically taught myself from trial and error on how, you know, how to weld those. Did three you, methods. beyond the trial and error, did, I don't know if, forget when YouTube started, if there are any other video tools or what, Oh, was there anything besides was there anything besides trial and error or learning from the other person in the shop? Getting getting yelled help? getting yelled at. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Getting yelled at because I did something wrong by my uncle and he came out and he's like, Why would you do it like that? You know, use your head, use your head. And then he would quickly show me like, you know, what you're supposed to do. And I would just take that information and I would fix it or I would get better at it. You know what I mean? So there was really no no one in the shop that he had working at the time that was like a very, very skilled welder or anything like that. The only person was him. So he kind of knew, you know, what he wanted, what he expected. And the very little information that he gave me was the information that I took to to kind of get better at. But he used those he used those pieces in in the corner that he'd piled up for practice until oh, you man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that and then Oh man, I I still remember those days like yesterday. It's pretty crazy to be honest with you, you know. Well, how did that take you to where you became the shop owner or I guess so, there was a transition? So the transition was he was ready to retire, which I mentioned, and he had mm -hmm. a co-owner too and and they were both the same age. I think they were like 73 years old or something. And they they didn't invest a dollar into the company for like the last 10 years of their ownership, you know, so a lot of stuff was ancient. A lot of the stuff was old. They knew that they were going to retire. They didn't want to spend the money. They didn't want to put the money into it. Um, mm -hmm. So he came up to me, I was about 22 years old. He came up to me and said, you know, there's still a few customers that they did some cutting and bending for and a little bit of welding, just local, local machine shops and local trailer repair shops that were around us over here. And he said, you know, I would hate to lose just a little bit of those customers and I would hate to kind of just let this all go to, you know, let this all, there's a lumber yard actually right behind us. So the potential buyers for the property was, was going to be that lumber yard because they wanted the property mm. because the, the way their trucks funnel in and out of here, we're right in front of the main street. So it's mm -hmm. not really logistically kind of good for their trucks to come in and out. So the lumber yard was kind of, you know, knocking on their doors. When are you going to sell? When are you going to sell? When are you going to sell? We want the property. We want the property. But my uncle, he he was like, I'd rather give it to someone I know, blah, blah, blah. And so he offered to sell it to me at a price. And then I would pay him, pay him the rest throughout the years, you know, for mm -hmm. whatever we agreed to, you know what I mean? So it was the, just the business itself, the building, I was still going to rent from him. So I, at the age of 22, I think it was 2011 was the transition when they called it quits. They retired and I took on, I, I, I gathered up some cash that I had. I borrowed some money from my brother and mm -hmm. it was a lump sum of like, I mean, I throw out a number there. It was like $50,000 to, to be, to, to, to buy the shop itself. It wasn't the building though. So, and of that 50,000, is that you had to put 50,000 down cash or what did you have to put down? And then what did yeah, you so, have to pay him off? So I put down the 50,000 and then the rest was paid off 
throughout like a two, three year span for the business, which would mm-hmm. came out to another, I think 150. And then the building was bought out down the road. You know what I mean? After that. Mm-hmm. So it was like a five year span of kind of making some money and, and he agreed okay. to like a certain amount a month and we kind of went that route. And then, and then, but during that, I mean, I know you might have other questions of how this all happened, but during that whole time, you know, especially the beginning, I didn't know anything about the metal industry. I didn't know how much material cost. I didn't even know the customers he had. So when that transition happened in 2011, there was, you know, a few customers calling the shop and I was picking up the phone and they wanted certain things. And I I honestly didn't even have a a clue of what it even is, you know, what they're asking for. (laughs) But what I did was he had banker boxes up here with previous orders and anything that I could find in the banker box for that price. I was kind of using that price. So I went to the Mm. customer file, found the job they did previously use that same price, blah, 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 blah. And then I, as time went on, I started to to kind of develop the business side of this whole metal thing, right? Yeah, I'm, you were saying, wait a second, I'm giving, giving them all the labor for free because the material's the bulk of this job. I got to exactly. charge a little more. So, so we, I started figuring out, you know, how much material cost, what's a good shop rate, you know what I mean? And then, does it even make mm-hmm. sense of doing these these jobs? But that took a good like first year. It really took me to get educated on. You had what? no business experience. You oh you no. only grad you graduated from high school, the rudimentary, yeah. and this was on the fly. You were trying to keep the doors open, make parts, and keep the money coming in, make yeah. enough money on the jobs to pay your uncle and his partner and hopefully pay yourself a little something. Yeah. So I, in the beginning, to be honest with you, I think I gave myself like, a, I don't know, I think $30,000 yearly salary just because I didn't know, you mm-hmm. know, what, what kind of, what money even was, to be honest with you, what, you know, this was all yeah. going on the fly. I think I gave myself like 400 bucks a week, you know, which kind of came out to like 30, 28, $30,000 salary. And yeah, I just wasn't really, I didn't, it took me about a year to really figure out the business aspect of this industry and how it works. Like how material gets caught, like the cost of material is, is by weight, you know, or square footage or, Mm -hmm. it took me a while to figure that out, you know, and then it took me a while to figure out, you know, what's a good shop rate. You know what I mean? I think back then I was doing like, just 35 bucks an hour as a shop rate back in 011, you know, just because I thought that was a lot of money, to be honest with you, graduated, you know, high school, no cut, you know, I thought 35 bucks an hour was a lot of money and, you know, cutting something or welding something for someone for 35 bucks an hour. I thought that was a decent shop rate. Now we all know that. What's What's your shop rate now? Typically, typically, depending on what equipment we're using, it could range from 75 bucks general labor to a hundred dollars you know, an hour on a mm-hmm. press break, or if we're doing some fancy welding, a hundred bucks an hour. I had a mentor who told me the easiest way to figure out your shop rate, and this is back when it was more of the Chevy, Ford, and Chrysler, but he said, 
go to their service departments, find out what they charge per hour, add it up, divide by three, and that's your shop rate. So it's like, hmm, that's a pretty easy way to to get a ballpark of where you should be. So so some of some of the some of the people that my uncle did business with, which was a lot of machine shops in the area over here, because a lot of machine shops needed like just some sheet metal on, on, on some jobs or whatever. So he had a mm-hmm. share. So he's so I had a little bit of education from those guys because I got into conversations with them, you know, how much they charge, what they do and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I had a little bit of education from outsiders that had their own small businesses. That's we all rely on people like that to help us, particularly when we're we're getting started. We don't know anything. Were there any metal suppliers? Did they were they good to you, or do you think they took advantage of you, or 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 maybe a mix of that? Do you have any that's stories a, there? That, that's a good question. So before my uncle and his partner left, they left me a piece of paper with some material vendors on it and their numbers and their emails. And also just, just supplies like band saws and, and, and grinding wheels, grinding discs. And because I didn't really know how to, where to order this stuff from, you know what I mean? So they left me just, I don't know, a half a page of vendors and stuff like that. And yes, I do recall that a couple guys, a couple companies once they found out there was a new ownership and stuff like that, some of their prices were a lot more different than some of the other vendors. <laughs> and not only that, I dropped off. I, I even stopped using or even sending quotes to one of the, the companies. And I'm not going to mention any names because I don't want to, you know, say say any bad stuff about certain suppliers or some stuff like that because they deal with all types of people. But I don't even use those guys as as a quoting for quoting materials anymore because I felt like they were taking advantage on the the hundred weight of the 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 cents per pound because it was almost mm-hmm. like double for what I was getting from you know and and, and other from other vendors. So yeah, mm-hmm. so yeah, I I did see a drop off with some of the vendors that they used for for raw materials opposed of who I use nowadays. Mm-hmm. Good to quote around then. Yeah, I mean, we we you know, we have a a lot of mater- raw material vendors that we reach out to, and we try to get about four or five quotes for the same project just to make sure that we are we are in you know, no one's trying to take advantage of the market. What, what do you see with the material suppliers? What sort of uh, let, let's say something was a hundred dollars? If you're going out to five material suppliers, would you see a range of maybe ninety to one hundred and ten dollars? 75 to 125 dollars i'm trying to get get a sense of like how tight their pricing is to one another or how maybe it it, it can swing to one extreme or the other depending I on you, i mean i could give you an example i mean we're yeah you know we we do a lot of you know we do a lot of plate sheet metal and um mm-hmm. we're more on the plate and sheet metal rather opposed to the structural but we do do mm-hmm. structural structural fabrications as well. But when it comes to like sheet metal or a plate, I mean, it could range. If you order, say, you know, ten thousand pounds of sheet metal, depending on what gauge it is, you know, there will be some some vendors that are you know two three thousand dollars more than others, you know. And and from what I think it is, is is it depends on where they buy that coil from or from what kind mm-hmm. of money they bought that coil at that they have to sell it at a certain price you know to either break even or 
or or make money on. So so certain vendors move material faster, so they could you know their prices change you know rapidly. Some people, some vendors, you know, they get stuck with that coil they they processed, and they gotta kind of have to sell it at that price, or if not, then they might eat it. You know what I mean? So that's kind of what I see mm. with material prices. You know, so there is a there is a wide variety variety of range of where when it comes to pricing. You know, and I do have I do have my favorites. I do have my favorites that they're they kind of take care of me and they give me the best price they absolutely can. So, so I would say just briefly, I would say a good relationship with a raw material vendor is a, is kind of a good thing to have. Yes. Let me bring us back to your a year in. You've got some experience now under your belt. You're beginning to price a little better. Is it only you in the shop, or there, or when you bought the business, did it come? with one or two of the other folks who you mentioned before? So my uncle, his son was a kind of on board with me in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of, he, he was a web developer. So he, he had his own job. He physically didn't work here. He occasionally stepped in to help me with some of the accounts, payables, receivables, and stuff like that. There wasn't a lot of customers so some of the paperwork such as like that was very, you know, 30 minutes. He puts it, puts mm-hmm. it in quick. So he helped me with the QuickBooks part of that stuff because I really didn't know how to do that. And since he was like a software developer, he had pretty, pretty good experience on the, you know, software, what it does, mm-hmm. you know, how to, how to, you know, make plug in those numbers and make, you know, make, make it kind of work. So he was for a good span of time. He was kind of the one that helped me in the sense of the accounts receivables, payables, paying the bills and stuff like that. While I kind of managed the shop and kind of did, did the did the labor, but he he only came in like once a month, once every mm. two weeks. Like if there was a lot of if there was a lot of bills to get paid or like invoices to send out, he came in maybe once every two weeks. But if there wasn't a lot, he came like once a month. And so he kind of helped me with that. I did. How about in the, how about in the shop or the other so people? I re- yeah. So there was those two guys I mentioned that worked for my uncle plus me. So I rehired those two guys right off the bat because there was some orders lingering around from, mm-hmm. from the transition. And then they kind of knew the shop too, because it, it was one of the welders worked here for like 20 years, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the the guy that worked on the share worked worked there for like 13 years. So I didn't want them to lose their job. And I thought that with some of with there being some orders still lingering around from the transition, that it'd be okay to kind of keep them on board. So those two guys plus me out in the shop from the from the start. Are they still with you? The one welder is still with me. The share guy, the guy that worked on the share retired last year. Ah, but so he stayed with you as well. That's cool. Yes. I love that. Well, let's, I want to hear how you've grown to where you are today. Maybe we can condense it and hit high points. Sure. Well, let's, let's hit some high points there. So I don't get into some of the fine details, but the, the, so, so I would say roughly after about two to three years, I really got good at, quoting some jobs, 
you know, and kind of my name got out there, especially locally, you know, being in the Chicagoland area, I mean, there's tons of, you know, manufacturers, machine shops, all kinds of things around here. So there was a lot of word of mouth, you know, that sent emails to me and called me and wanted, whether it was whatever they wanted, I was able to take care of them. You know what I mean? So I would say after three years, I was getting a lot of quotes in for a lot of just sheet metal processing in the sense of like shapes and sizes with holes in them and stuff like that. So never in a million years would I have thought to buy a new machine, but I seen that having a plasma cutting table would have helped Mm. my shop, my shop in that, in that particular situation, because some of the fabrications that we were doing or, or, or asking or they were or I was quoting were shapes and sizes with little holes in them or whatever. So so I was looking because we were doing everything like cutting shapes and sizes. We were doing with the torch, with the torch, with oxy, oxy fuel, oxyacetylene. So when we needed to cut a, a, a cylinder out of a half inch plate, we had to mark that up by hand and cut it out with a with a torch. So you already know, you already know how that sure. works. Yeah. What happened was, what happened was, I found an entry level plasma cutting table. And you probably are very familiar with this company called Torchmate, Mm -hmm. Lincoln Lincoln Electric. So we did, I did some research on this Torchmate and a brand new five by 10 table with, with the engine of like 85, I think it was 85 amps, uh, around like 36 thousand dollars brand new water table and i was like man if this if this machine if i could get this machine man i could cut these these round shapes and 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 you know rectangles out of plate and sheet so much faster than by hand you know everything would be so much better for us and at that time thirty six thousand dollars was just for me you know i i didn't think that that was even possible you know but the books kind of looked pretty decent on the 30 year. And then my mm-hmm. accountant kind of said, Hey, maybe you should try to spend some money or something, because if not, you know, you're going to be taxed on the profit or whatever, you know, stuff like that, which I didn't really know at the time either, you know, this whole profit thing and reinvesting because I'm, I'm still very fresh. The 179 depreciation. So for a shop yeah. your size, I was really, <laughs> yeah, I was it's so an expense. Fresh. I was so fresh to that that I didn't even know what that meant. But he was saying, "Hey, maybe you should look into something." So I looked into this torch. I want to, I want to pause there for a second, and I think it's super important. If your CPA isn't making suggestions like that, and it's sort of funny because typically accountants are financially conservative, but if they're telling you to go spend money so you don't have to. Hey, Uncle Sam, and they know your books. They know they know if you're making money or not. It's probably time to look for another CPA because they, they yours, I think, Rafael gave you really good advice. Yeah, no, that that's that's a big thing because if the whole point of making money is to continue to grow the business. Right. And then the best way to grow the business is obviously new equipment, which I didn't know at that age and at that year in time. But when he mentioned stuff like that, you know, it kind of clicked right off the bat and, and it was like, Oh man, well, 
if I could get this machine and it's not going to hurt me financially, it's only going to make things better financially, then it's a goal, you know, it's a goal. So mm -hmm. I ended up buying the Torchmate plasma cutting table and I was so, you know, I was like a little Changed kid. your business. Well, I was, yeah, I was like a little kid, you know, at a candy store. And since my cousin was a software developer, he showed me the the CAD program and how to use it and how to mm -hmm. draw simple shapes and sizes on Google Sketch. So when I was getting quotes and when I was getting certain things to quote and design, I was using that Google Sketch to kind of make the DXF file for that Torchmate. So a couple questions. Why did you buy new instead of buying a much less expensive used one? I think it was because of the tax break. I think it was like new equipment up to a certain amount of dollars. Okay. And I think that's why. And also not only the tax break, but I figured if I bought something new, it would take the headache off it breaking or having yes, some kind I, of issues. I, I totally agree. You've got support. You're not on your own with some technology that you don't understand yeah and, and that was that was one of the yeah i didn't know the technology i didn't know the machines so the whole the whole the whole thought was let's get something new so i don't have to worry about it for like two two to three years plus there's a warranty on it you know yep. i can have yep. a tech i could call a tech so that's yep. why i bought new totally agree the other question because i love pricing and curious on how you price the jobs after you got the torch mate in the sense that you were winning business by doing it the old-fashioned way before the torch mate did you continue to price it for the old-fashioned way and pocket the difference in the speed that the torch mate gave you or did you now say okay the torch mate will allow me to do it in this amount of time and you maybe charged a higher hourly rate for that, but you charged only the time that the torch mate would take you. Does that make sense? What, what yeah. I'm describing? Yeah, it totally makes sense. So for, for some of the reoccurring orders, I, I just kept it the same kind of same price. I never really let my customers know that I had, you know, a much better, <laughs> faster machine that could cut something much faster. So so some of the reoccurring orders were, there wasn't much reoccurring. I think I had like one or two things that we always did here um, mm -hmm. that I was able to use the torch made on, but I never changed the price. Like I never went to the customer and said, oh, I could cut these faster. I'll, you know, let's lower the right. price. They were going to send the purchase order regardless because we were kind of the ones to do those things. And they never really complained about price. So yep. you know, I just kind of kept my mouth shut. Didn't really want to say anything. Pose of new business though. You know, I use, I still use that like 35 to $40 an hour rate. And I really didn't have a system of, you know, how long that torch mate would take to cut. You know, you could use the, the cutting speeds that they gave you, but I didn't really have a system to kind of get an accurate price. So I kind of did it by experience. Mm -hmm. if that, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, loading the table, unloading the table, cleaning the parts after they got cut. You know, as time went on, I kind of gained that experience of how long it really, really takes to even use the table. But mm -hmm. as, I would say in the beginning, 
I was just trying to win some work. I was trying to have that machine doing stuff. So in the beginning, you know, I was throwing some prices out and then I was kind of like trying to get a follow up from my customer to see mm -hmm. if it, you know, if that works, if it doesn't work, maybe I could do it for a little cheaper, but I want to stay busy, you know? So there was occasions where, you know, maybe the customer took advantage of me in the sense of pricing because I, they gave me the order for a much cheaper price that I gave them. But in the long run, I gained the experience of doing some of the parts and gaining the knowledge of how, it how long it really takes. So you win some and you lose some. And I, I think that, you know, doing some of the work and doing it, you could even say maybe, maybe not for free, but doing it at a, a taking advantage cost gave me the experience to, to know how well, much. You, you, yeah. You, you got the experience. And the other thing is you, the machine was running and it, you want your machines to run. Yeah. If they're not running, they're not making you any money. No. And they, I think you, at least in the beginning, while you got your arms around it, you you made the right decision. You, they have a, a saying that action begets action, meaning if you don't do anything, nothing's going to happen. So you did something, and you learned, and other things happened because you did something. Yeah. No. So, so I I think um, it's just the gaining that experience. So. So after a couple of years with the torch mate, getting that experience of cutting those parts out, making certain weldments and stuff, because we got we got known for doing like plasma cutting, making like brackets and stuff like that for some machine shops and machine shops would finish mm -hmm. off the pieces and stuff like that. So so the the business grew in the sense of now the customer base, you know, now you now you're now my customer base is a lot more than just, you know, trailer repair and 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 you know, whatever sheet yeah. metal stuff that I was brake pressing on the press brake, you know. So we started getting more involved with brackets and 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 you know thicker plate for machine shops to kind of burn out well, like burn out well, then they would finish it off with the end mill or, or you know drilling holes and stuff like that. So the business kind of grew in that aspect. So let's sort of fast forward to today. I saw on your website that you have a fiber optic laser what the, those are not inexpensive <laughs> how did you justify that what in moving from plasma to a laser and was there an intermediate step of a punch press talk, so there was talk about talk about some of that so there there definitely was a, a little step in between the laser the plat the, the torch mate and laser so once I found out about the the tax break on the equipment, every year the business was making some money, whether it was 10, 15% gain or 30% gain. I think I've seen increases of 30% throughout the last 12 years. Every year it made some money. And not only did it make money, but every year I was kind of gaining new emails and new customers and they were requesting for quote certain certain things, right? So my goal was to acquire equipment that i could quote these jobs for so mm, like gotcha. if i could if i see these quotes coming through and and i'm and either i'm quoting them with an outsource of getting them done somewhere else and but i but then i was like well if i have the machine you know i can kind of dictate my my prices myself rather than using someone else's prices waiting for their lead times and maybe not even getting the order because someone else's prices might be too high 
So once I figured out our niche and what let, we're good let at. Me, let me press pause there again for a second. So this is really interesting. And it's something that I did at Rapid that we outsourced machine parts for quite a while till we, we brought machining in-house. You, you were hustling, bottom line, Rafal. You were hustling. And an RFQ came in. And you wanted to win the business, whether you made it in your shop or someone else made it for you. You didn't care. You were gonna. You were taking advantage of every RFQ that came in, right? Exactly. <laughs> whether whether I was gonna do it with my hands, or if I'm gonna have, a, or if I'm gonna have to send it out, or if I'm gonna have to stay twelve hours to do it, regardless of the, yeah. the amount of money I'm gonna get paid for it, I wanted to do it. Yeah, you're right. I wanted to 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 get and and you see there's certain types of equipment that would that you were subbing out to and you say okay there's enough volume here that maybe if i bought this equipment then i i wouldn't have to sub it out and then maybe there would be even more opportunities because now i have this equipment in house yes so yes that is exactly kind of what happened during that whole you know, plas the first plasma cutting table I bought to what we are at now is man. Once once people knew that I was able to cut plate and stuff like that, they were sending me all kind of RFQs, and I was mm -hmm. trying to earn every single business that I could because I figured that maybe one day we could do it in house. Yeah, so you're very very right about that. What other types of equipment did you bring in before the laser? So after the well. The laser is the newest addition to the family, which was bought just at the end of last year. Before the laser, the Torchmate, the Torchmate was able to make enough money for me to get a Messer cutting table, a Messer plasma cutting table, um, mm -hmm. which allowed me to just do things of just a little. It's a high definition plan. I'm sure you're familiar with the Messer cutting tables, but I'll just briefly just let let your audience know what that is. It's a high definition yeah. cutting table, high definition plasma cutting table. I had a two, 250 amp engine on it. So I was, I was able to plasma cut it up to inch, inch and one eighth, and it was a high def. So the quality was a lot better than the torch mate. So when what I sort of, when, when you're cutting with the plasma, what sort of angle on the vertical wall do you get? As in the tolerance as a taper, yeah. I mean, you, depending on what thickness you're cutting the i'll be honest with you that high definition master cutting plasma table the the engine is a hypotherm man that thing cuts beautiful to be honest with you mm -hmm. i mean you, you you'll have maybe i mean if you're cutting one inch one inch thick plate you're gonna have maybe like a 16th taper from the top to the bottom but you're talking about one inch thick steel right you know, if you're cutting if you're cutting an 11 gauge which is one eighth quarter inch i mean you you have you can't even really see it by your by eye that is of course if your consumables are you're not worn out now if your consumables are worn out with your tools your consumables that you you're gonna have and you see taper and the quality of the cut is bad you just have to change your consumables to fresh ones and then obviously the gases which is oxygen or nitrogen that you use to, to cut with that machine as well but the taper on a, on a high definition plasma cutting table it's 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 not not that bad and the quality of cut on that master cutting table is is excellent for certain mm -hmm. jobs for certain jobs so really depends what, what 
what what then beyond the, the that cutting table what did you start to upgrade your welding capabilities did you bring so in with, with the messer now we could cut a little bit better a little bit faster after the messer cutting table i brought in a 400 ton press brake because I had the 250 mechanical that was here originally from the original purchase of the business. And I seen a lot of bending. So what happened was after we're cutting all these pieces on the plasma, there was a lot of bending involved. So we, so I decided next year to invest in a newer press brake, which was the AccuPress 400 ton press brake, which allowed me to bend up to half inch, 10 foot long. And I also invested in that because i seen a bunch of rfqs coming in from certain customers because a lot of the bending capability no one was able to bend in the area no one was able to bend up to half well there was a very selected few shops to bend half inch thick plate 10 feet long so i seen a lot of rfqs come in and i decided to to not only would it help the volume of stuff that we were bending but also increase the capacity of thickness that we were able to do mm -hmm. and then after yeah. that we were gain, getting a lot more welding stuff too as well. So a little bit more intricate welding too, like TIG welding, stainless steel welding. So I decided to get a water jet table, water jet cutting mm. table. And that grew my business as well because now we're able to cut more, way more accurate than the Messer cutting table. I mean, we could put in tiny holes in plates. We could put in, you know, all kinds of slots, plate, you know, we could cut stainless mm -hmm. really nice, you know, with the with the water jet cutting table, which gave us a lot of opportunity to quote very like intricate weldments, intricate plate work, like such as for like stainless steel, you know, if you're if you're doing some craftiness, you know, that water jet really helped us become like a fab shop because we use that water jet cut cutting table as a fabrication tool. So I'm able to cut certain parts and pieces for certain weldments so accurate that when we're done, it doesn't even have to go to a machine shop because some of those holes are within tolerance that are needed without even going to a machine shop. So I got that water jet in 2018. So that was what, like four or five years ago? Mm -hmm. And then... Now I'm getting volume quotes coming in into my emails, 500,000, because now people know that I could cut there, you know, with the water jet. Well, the water jet isn't the fastest thing in the world. It's a great fabrication tool, but it's not the fastest thing in the world. I mean, if we're cutting mm -hmm. 20 to 50 pieces, maybe a hundred pieces, the water jet would make sense. But now I'm getting these RFQs for 500, 1,000, 10,000. So now it's wow. like... Okay, I'm 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 getting and I'm winning I'm winning the bid, outsourcing to get laser cut. I think it's time to 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 invest in a laser, you know, because mm -hmm. I was winning the bids, I was winning the bids, and I was outsourcing for the laser cutting. And I was like, okay, well, we're gonna have the three headed monster in the cutting. We're gonna have the plasma high def plasma. We're gonna have the water jet, and now we're gonna have a laser. So we could we could really cut whichever way we want, depending on the job. So again, these fiber lasers, they're expensive. Did you get financing on this and how did you go? Well, about I did that? a, I bought a brand new one. 
because mm-hmm. I I am. It's I'm, worked for you. I am buying new has worked. <laughs> worked, yeah. So I bought the Messer brand new. I bought the Waterjet brand new, and I bought the Laser brand new. Just because I feel like I can't afford breakdowns, especially when I have orders that need to get out. Mm-hmm. The floor. So I prefer to pay a little bit more, and I finance for you know five year span. Did you go with a bank loan or a lease? It's a lease to buy. Lease to yeah, yep. So it's a payment for what five years and then at the end it's like a dollar buyout yeah is is this something the laser manufacturer hooked you up with yes so so they're so they're working with a leasing company or well i originally if if we want to backtrack here for just a minute i could tell you a funny story Uh, i originally you know bought that torch made on my own but after that torch made the master cutting table i had a salesman coming in here you know, hey, you know, I sell equipment, blah, blah, blah. And he walked through my shop and he said, I could get you some nice stuff where, you know, it'd make things work a lot faster, better. And you could probably grow your business. And at the time, you know, I was like, man, I got no money. I don't have mm-hmm. no money. You, you know, just I'll listen to you for five, 10 minutes, but just please don't bother me anymore. You know, and he just <laughs> wouldn't stop coming in. And it's kind of funny because he became kind of a good friend of mine because he sold me the master cutting table. And that was really what turned my business around was that Messer cutting table. And then I bought the water jet from him and now I bought the laser from him too. And I've been using the same financing company mm-hmm. through him. So the funny story was I kept trying to get this guy rid of this guy. And now he kind of, he was uh, one of the aspects of uh, one of the people that actually helped me grow, grow the business because he was directing me into the new technology. And I really feel like what the technology is the way to grow, because you, you, if you don't have that type of type of equipment, you know, you're slowly, you can't compete. You can't compete because there's always companies and, and, and people trying to make things faster, more accurate, and then get the price cheaper. I mean, that's just the way, you know, that's just the way everything is going. You know what I mean? This is a, another really good point, Rafal, the good salespeople you want to have them in your shop because they are the one they're like honeybees they're bringing the nectar of the different flowers and think the flowers are the different equipment manufacturers and they're they're bringing it into your shop and into a whole bunch of other shops and they are the most knowledgeable people about really what's going on in the industry both from a perhaps a buying standpoint you know, what are the what are all your customers doing? What are the trends? But also the technology, the equipment. And rather than thinking of salespeople as these pests that you want to get out of your shop as quickly as possible, let them take you to lunch and pepper them with questions. Have, have questions, have a list of questions because again, they they are probably the most educated on what's going on currently in the shop environment and they are a free resource or i say free certainly if you buy something that 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 flips but you're making an informed decision when you do buy something and as you said the the fact that they turned you on to the leasing that you didn't think that you had any money so you couldn't buy anything but there are alternatives and I'm sure he, it wasn't one conversation. It was probably multiple conversations as he explained leasing and went through different things with you. That's, that's a really valuable asset, having 
good salesperson who's not asking you about your local sports team, but actually informing you on the latest trends in the shop. Yeah, he's he's been, like I said, he's been great. He's been great, and he kind of became somewhat of a friend to me. Comes in, you know, asks me how I'm doing always. Uh, going, you know, how, how are the machines going and stuff like that. And he's definitely got his phone on him. If something, you know, if a problem occurs with the equipment, he could get me a hold of someone very quickly, you know, and, and, you know, knock on wood, just because I bought brand new, I really haven't had, you know, major problems with some of this equipment, which, which I'm very grateful for because the, the, the workflow continues to move. You know what I mean? So, yeah, we're, getting close to an hour here and i wanted to connect on a couple other pieces so we talked a lot about the equipment the journey of your capabilities in the shop you have including yourself 11 people now in the shop from it sounds like maybe you started out with three and you have a full-time plant manager bizak when did she come on board and why did you say okay Now's the time. Just the workflow, the the work that I seen, the purchase orders that I seen coming in, and they were much much larger projects. So, for instance, things went from, you know, maybe one, two to three pieces. Now we're getting weldments of a hundred pieces, one hundred fifty pieces, you mm-hmm. know, volume, and then project managing some of the smaller jobs with the bigger jobs by myself. I couldn't wrap my head around everything. You know what I mean? So there was a time where I got a couple bigger orders and B worked at a place that I was familiar with and she, she was on her way out. She told me, you know, I'm going to be applying to other places. Would you like me to come and help you? And I said, you and know, she was working at another fabricating shop. Correct. Correct. As And I think as a quality manager. Correct. Yep. Yeah. So I knew who she was. She knew who I was because I kind of did a little bit of stuff for that company. Um, mm-hmm. She was on her way out because she said she outgrew that place and it just wasn't the right situation anymore for her. So she was applying to other places from what she told me. And in the, for like six months, I was telling her that, you know, I don't know if I could afford you being here. I mean, I don't know, you know, <laughs> the money flow, blah, 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 all this and that. But then once I got some of these bigger orders, I was like, it, it, it only makes sense to get someone in here to kind of look over my shoulders and, and kind of be there and help me grow this place. Because I, I only seen it going upwards because of the RFQs I was getting, some of the purchase orders I got. So... It was, I think, 2018, I think, when I got the water jet. I think a couple, a few months after, I, I ended up hiring her. And right now, we just got a really good, you know, team going on with her and my wife and the kind of management slash mm-hmm. production scheduling team going. I think we have a good flow as long as the work keeps coming, you know? I am confident the work will keep coming. And I've got a whole bunch of reasons why manufacturing is the place to be right now. Let me ask you some rapid fire question or questions. I want to really understand 
maybe more in the front office, the technology pieces. You mentioned QuickBooks and you mentioned Excel. And so it sounds like you're using the Office 365, which is the cloud base, as opposed to you having it installed on your machines and saving it locally. Everything's stored in the cloud so everybody can see it on whatever device and all that. Do you use Microsoft Teams? No. What CAM or CAD software do you use? CAD software, we use SolidWorks, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. So I use, I use that and I use Google Sketch for more simpler stuff. I use Google Sketch and I use SolidWorks for more complex stuff. Is Google Sketch a free program or do you have to pay for that? That one, they have two versions. You could get a free version or you could get the more complex version, which is more of like a SolidWorks that you could you have to pay for. Which so one do you use? I have the free version of Google and then I have the paid version of SolidWorks. Yeah, that probably makes sense. And the programming for the water jet and the laser is that the manufacturer's software or do you use yeah. something different yeah so each 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 machine that i have has their own software that the manufacturer provides okay. which is kind of i'll be honest with you it's it's a little bit since i have three cutting machines now it would be really nice to just have one and i think there's one that's out there and i don't know the price of it but i think it's like sigma ness yes that's that's a real well-known one there's some other stuff too and but if I, yeah, that's the one thing that I don't have is one program to control all my cutting machines. So I have to flip flop, like plugging in DXF files and making nests and tool paths in a different software for each machine. So not, not the, not the worst thing in the world, but you know, if I could just be good at. Well, it's, it's the next evolution. You're growing the shop. Okay. You, you build it piece by piece by piece. And that's maybe on the radar. How about managing all the jobs in the shop do you have an erp system how do you how do you manage all the jobs create the routers and do the scheduling so my wife created a order tracker which is on the google cloud and we all get to see all the purchase orders that we have the dates we receive is them. that is that an excel document or some other correct. type correct that's an excel document okay and so that and do you Create a router for jobs on the floor? The router, it, not really. We kind of put put them through, kind of just, we kind of place them on the desk and we use the order tracker, kind of determine which ones um, mm -hmm. that are, you know, hot, hot, not hot. We got a little bit of time on. And then we kind of just pick those orders and make, you know, make build materials, make cutting lists, and we kind of bring them out to our guys out in the shop. So we don't really have... Like a router, I would say I would be, me or B would be the router. We would take these orders okay. that we kind of schedule for the week and we would kind of distribute them to the, the workers out in the shop. So we're still working on some of the the planning and stuff like that. You know, a lot of stuff still goes through my head. Um, mm -hmm. That's kind of a problem because I try to wrap my head around everything just so I know what's going in and out of these doors. But once there's so much projects to do and stuff like that, it's kind of hard to, so, but I'm still, I'm still that kind of boss or owner where I need to see everything before it goes out the door. <laughs> At the same time, you were able to take a vacation. So, <laughs> so you're, 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 that probably couldn't have happened five or eight years ago. Right? No, probably not. I mean, most of my most of, if we're talking about vacations, most of my 
short vacations or maybe like a long weekend. So I'll take like a Friday off, yeah. I'll take Monday off, and then I'll be gone for the and then come back. That's a classic small business owner. And as as you grow, you are able to add more people than you are not as important, which I think is a really good thing. I tried to make myself as unimportant as possible at this rapid. This has been such fun listening to your story, Rafal, and understanding and, and reminding me the pieces of the journey and how someone may look at you today and go, oh, wow, he's got a really great, successful business and not understand how hard it was to get to where you are today. Is there anything you would like to add? Anything that last thoughts you want to put out to someone who might be listening? You know, just to say that been quite a bit of quite a bit of a journey, but I really like what I do. And I think that's what kind of pushes me each and every day. I like to see some of the things we make and being involved with everything. And and that's what gets me excited to be here, especially, you know, seeing some of this equipment that I've never even thought I'd be able to put my fingers on to be actually in my shop is is, yeah. is is amazing. You know what I mean? So I'm very grateful, very humble that I could be in this position. You know, I worked my tail off to get here and I keep I keep learning each and every day and gaining experience each and every day. There's not a day that I don't learn learn about something, you know, that goes on in, in a job shop. So I'm very excited and thrilled I was able to have this opportunity to 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 be put in this opportunity and to to kind of turn out successful you can say when I'm only going to be moving forward because I'm, I just got that drive. So, yeah. yeah, you have a lot of runway ahead of you. Oh yeah. And I am, I'm so honored. We didn't get a chance to talk to Rachel today, but the fact that she is a regular listener of the podcast, that she finds value because I think you shared that she didn't come from the manufacturing industry. So by listening to the conversations that I've had with owners like you, she's started to understand your world better. And I think bring some ideas into your shop, which is, that's thrilling. I'm, I'm glad maybe in the sense that this podcast has been honeybee and done, done the same thing that some of the salespeople have done for you. Yeah, she's she's definitely used your podcast and gained a lot of experience from listening listening through some of those episodes. And she had me listen to some of them too as well. And there was a couple that were pretty interesting to listen to and to hear their stories too. So do you remember specific episodes that one, you might one, tell an episode? Yeah, the one yeah. that I that I listened to that I thought was pretty cool and significant was the Black Mountain. Black Mountain. Mm-hmm manufacturing out was that in colorado i think he was a younger gentleman too maybe just a tad bit older than me but he kind of was doing like gas pipelines and stuff like that welding yeah he got yeah he got involved in the you know manufacturing you know manufacturing and i looked at his website and he's he's a little bit more you know involved with the cnc machines and fabricating more than i am but it's really cool to see that he has a laser as well he has a lot of cnc machines and some of the things that they do are very cool and very similar to some of the things that i do here and so it was really cool to kind of look at his website and just get a feel of his journey as well because i have a lot it was a lot to relate you know what i found is in talking to people like you that 
the owners on the podcast are so open to conversation. So I look at us as maybe a very small community who's passionate about what we're doing and we want to help each other. And I know that these other folks on the podcast, the owners have said, hey, if you have questions, reach out to me. So I encourage you to, Rafal, as you listen to podcast episodes, reach out directly to some of these other owners and engage in a conversation because I'm sure that they can learn as much from you as you're learning from them. And this is how we this is how we broaden the foundations of our industry and we learn and we make each other better. I want to encourage you that it's not a burden that you're you're not a pesky salesperson calling them, but you're someone who not only has questions for them, but can add value to them and what they're doing. Awesome. I definitely will do that. Well, thank you so much. If someone wants to reach you, ask you some questions, would you mind sharing your contact information? Yeah, I have more than welcome anyone that would like to reach out to me. My contact information, you know, our, 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 main line here is 708-385-9147 and you could always anyone could always reach me at my email and website but my email is rafal my first name r-a-f-a-l at profabricating.com and then our website is profabricating.com so i encourage anyone or anyone that has questions wants to talk to me i'm always open to have a conversation and they could always reach out to me no problem well Thank you again for your time today. And for the listener, this was a little bit of a trip for me down memory lane, remembering back in the day when Rapid was five people and how we grew, not the same way as Rafal, but we took our own path and and it paralleled it. And I encourage you to think about how this is a journey and that Every day we are adding knowledge and experience. And if we are committed to growing our businesses, these build upon one another. And we don't have to do it alone. We can reach out to the salespeople, get them into our business and into our lives, listen to the podcast, talk to other shop owners, talk to your suppliers. It is a journey though. And if you love manufacturing as much as I do, I think that these little pieces are what really bring a lot of spark and joy to the journey. So I encourage you to make those contacts. Until next time, keep those lasers cutting and those spindles turning. Have a super day. Thanks for listening to the Job Shop Show podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Not only do I read every single one, it also helps me understand what content matters most to you. Thanks again for listening to The Job Shop Show.